You know this story. This is the story of stories. And as with all great stories, there's intrigue, there's speculation, there's drama, and there are questions. In today's Wall Street Journal, there's an article titled, Christmas Embattled from the Beginning. For most of the last two millennia, people have been arguing about Christmas, struggling to adopt it, abolish it, reform it, marginalize it, appropriate it, or suppress it. And so we come to questions, questions about where did we come from? How did we get here? What is this thing we call the universe? Michio Kaku, in his book Beyond Einstein, writes... In the 1920s, Einstein's general theory of relativity provided the best explanation of how our universe began. According to Einstein's theory, the universe was born approximately 10 to 20 billion years ago in a gigantic explosion called the Big Bang. All the matter in the universe was originally concentrated in one super-dense ball, the theory says, which exploded violently, creating our current expanding universe. However, there were many gaps in Einstein's theory. Why did the universe explode? What happened before the Big Bang? Theologians, as well as scientists, have for years realized the incompleteness of the Big Bang theory because it fails to explain the origin and nature of the Big Bang itself. One Harvard scientist once put it this way. Years of intense effort by dozens of the best and brightest have yielded not one verifiable prediction, nor should any soon be expected. You know this story. Isaiah wrote about a virgin conceiving and bearing a son and his name being called Emmanuel, God with us. Micah wrote about this baby being born in Bethlehem, giving us everything we needed to know, almost down to the zip code. In Psalm 22, from about 1,000 years B.C., we see an exact depiction of a crucifixion and of a person whose hands and feet were pierced and whose clothing was was offered up by some folks gambling at the foot of where he was. This This is way before, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even known as a method of execution. In 750 B.C., the prophet Amos wrote about darkness falling at noon, precisely the time that Luke records in 23, chapter 23, verse 44. There are 400 plus prophecies that tell this story. And you know the story. Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The shepherds were overwhelmed and so they rushed to Bethlehem and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. By now you've been grinched and pinched. You've been moved. And you have probably run into a Scrooge or two along the way. You've partied in the neighborhood and partied hither and yon in celebration of this day. You have battled traffic You heard chestnuts roasting for the 110th time. You've wonderful lifed. You've white Christmased. You've Charlie Browned. You've mistletoed. Or some of you are still hoping to mistletoe at some point, maybe later today. You crooned carols. You created cookies. You ate cookies. You ate too many cookies. You tried to remember all the reindeer names and couldn't always getting stuck after Blitzen. And now, even now, you're running those names in your head while I'm talking to you. You've watched Elf, Christmas Vacation, and Rudolph. You've endured dreams of sugar plums dancing. Last night, you thought you may have heard the clattering of little hooves on your roof. And you've had deep, personal moments of bah humbug. Deep, personal moments of bah humbug, mostly with those you love because that's who we like to bah humbug with the most. I had my bah humbug moment just just the other night. I'm one of those who really believes in that saying. I think it's in the Bible to lay down for a long winter's nap. Okay, maybe it's not in the Bible, but I still believe it. I like to, when I lay down to go to sleep at night, that's it. Lights out, I'm done. I do not want to get up again. Don't make me get up for anything, please. And so I hit the pillow and I'm just ready to nod off into dreamland and suddenly I hear a whisper, a whisper that is some, somewhere near me. And the whisper says, Wilson is itching. And I'm thinking, who's Wilson? Then I remember who he is. He's our dog. Now, we have two dogs. We have a dog named Bodie. Bodie is the perfect dog. He has a PhD in dogness. He knows how to act, and he knows what to do. He's always on time, at the right time, and he's just good all the time. He never gives us any trouble. And then, therefore, God said, thou shalt have Wilson. (laughs) And Wilson, Wilson, you can see, he just looks confused. Why am I here? What are we doing? What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? What are you doing? And he's just constantly in a perpetual state of confusion. And he is itchy. Why is he itchy? We don't know. He just is itchy all the time. And so in our house, we have what we affectionately call itch pills. And so now I'm assigned 
to go and find the itch pills, which means I have to get up out of my long winter's nap. I have to go downstairs in the dark, find the itch pills. And then here's the worst thing about the itch pill. He only takes the itch pill when it is bathed in lots of cheese. You see, you have to, you have to, you have to take... You have to take the squeezy cheese thing and you have to like squirt it everywhere so you have this giant clump of cheese that once was your finger and now the pill is in there somewhere. So I go upstairs with this, you know, I sort of look like a crazy version of E.T., the extraterrestrial with your fingers sort of glowing. And so I, I go, and now it's dark. It's like pitch black. And I'm crawling over the edge of the bed. I'm trying to find Wilson. And I'm, I'm hand, putting the, the itch pill out there for him. And all of a sudden I hear this voice say, he stopped itching. <laughs> and as if that isn't bad enough. Don't give him the itch pill. And that was it. That was my bah humbug moment. Bah humbug. Somebody is going to take this pill. <laughs> either, either you're taking it, or I'm taking it, or I'm going to 7-Eleven and have the person there take it because they're up all night anyway. You know, it's like bah humbug. Bah humbug, mostly with those we love. But somehow, deep down, you know you are ready for Christmas to happen. But there's something in the back of your mind. You're also not sure that it is going to happen. Time is fleeting. And you know that if you miss it, there will be 364 more days to slog through until you get back here again. In the days leading up to Christmas, we endure a barrage of messages and information designed to tell us what Christmas is. This is what Christmas is. This is how you, you are supposed to experience Christmas, and Christmas is, is coming at you all the time. These messages tell us to think about Christmas as something that we are going to receive. You're going to receive Christmas somehow. But that's not it at all. Here's the truth about Christmas. Christmas is something we do based upon something that was done. Christmas is something we do based upon something that was done. It's all there with the shepherds. You say, where did you get this? It's all there with the shepherds. They did something based on something that was done. But it all came after they were asking themselves deep questions in their hearts. Remember when they were sore afraid? There's a little key there. When you're afraid, you're asking questions. Questions like this. What is happening here? Why is this happening to me? What am I going to do? What's my next move? How do I get out of this? You see, everything worthwhile in life starts with a question. So let me ask you a question. Why are we here? Where did we come from? Why is a pretty good question to ask on a night like this. And here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little bit different tonight. I want to give you a gift that I want you to use when you gather around a table with your family sometime soon. It might be tonight or it might be tomorrow in the afternoon. You're, you're going to gather around a table with a family and I'm going to give you three questions to answer 
Three questions that will change Christmas for you. Maybe make it something better than it could have ever been. And here are the three questions. What do you cry about? This is the what makes you sad question. What do you sing about? This is the what makes you happy or joyful question. What do you dream about? This is the what brings hope to your world question. I was given these questions earlier in the year when I went to see one of my favorite authors. And he said one of his teachers gave these questions to him a long time ago. And he wanted to give them to us. And as soon as I heard them, I knew then, six months ago, that I wanted to give them to you tonight. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What do you cry about? What makes you sad? I have a friend who who writes, and the world is on her heart, and she writes about things that are big, and she writes about things that are small, about the family and about life experiences. But what I like most about my friend is that she's very vulnerable. She's always very honest. She says, this is what is really going on in my heart. And sometimes it makes me sad, and sometimes it makes me cry. And just the other day, I read something that she had written. As a child, I loved December. All the Christmas music, all the decorations, the family gathered together, the pandemonium of Christmas morning. But after 30 years as an adult managing Christmas, working for a church, I had to admit that December equals rush and stress, impossible expectations, anything but peace, joy, and love. So I started saying no to December. And you hear a heaviness in her heart. I started saying no to December. No parties at my home. No shopping at the mall. No cookie exchanges. No decorating of any kind at all. And, and you hear this litany of sorrow and you see this, this woman about on the verge of tears, let go of December, get it out of my life. But then suddenly as you keep reading, she, she does a turn. There's a, a flip. This is what she does do. Now I write notes. I write notes to people I haven't seen in a long time. I have a cup of tea with a friend and there's no time limit on how long we talk and how long we sit there with each other. There's no place else to get to fast. I listen to music, any kind of music that that fills me up on the inside and I listen to this music as loud as I want to listen to it by myself. And she writes, I make cookies with a four-year-old. Now, the cookies you make with a four-year-old are all misshapen, and there's a mess everywhere, and they don't seem to make any, any sense in, in, the, in the cookie dictionary, but uh, the heartbeat is there. The real 
the realness of grandparent and grandchild is there. And she wants to immerse herself in these things. And I step back and I go, whatever makes you sad forces you to find the flip side of the sadness. She was sad, but she found the flip side of the sadness. There's always a flip side. Just as sure as there was a crucifixion with tears, there was a resurrection that flipped everything. You see, Christmas is something we do based upon something that was done. And whatever it is that we cry about, and we all cry, and we're all sad about something, whatever those things are, God says, let me take you to the other side of that. Because although I endured tears and sadness and suffering, I also got you to a place of joy and hope and expectation. Whatever it is that you cry about, whatever makes you sad, look for the other side and ask God to help you find that. What makes you sing? What makes you sing? Now, this is not the the hills are alive with the sound of music question. It's not even necessarily really about music unless you happen to like music. But uh, I I, I like music. I was watching The Voice. Anybody watch The Voice? I was watching The Voice, and and I was watching it right down to the end. And and there there was Sundance. And and I didn't think Sundance was going to win. And and there is is Way. And I thought she was going to take it, this young girl from Patterson, New Jersey. I was born in Patterson, New Jersey. So I'm, I'm rooting for her, and I thought she was fabulous. How many people? We're rooting for way how many people are rooting for Sundance how many people don't care how many, how many people say bah humbug to the voice how many people say that okay but this is not a question really about about singing this is really a question that leads you into something big it leads you into your purpose in life the sharing and sharing that purpose with others is what makes you sing. It's where you give your life away without expecting anything in return. No quid pro quo here. No you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. No expectation of reciprocal response. As I thought about this, not only was I thinking about what makes me sing, but I thought about what makes God sing. I thought about the answer. It's in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says for the joy set before him he endured the cross for the joy set before him he endured the cross he endured the cross because of joy joy is is what you sing about we sang this amazing song this evening about joy what's God's joy then for God so loved the world you see God saw you and he sang God saw you and he sang. God saw all of you and he sang. He saw all of us and he sang a song of great joy because he knew he was willing to do this so that we could have everything. He was willing to be the rock upon which we could build our lives. He was willing to be the light of the world. He was willing to allow us to know that he is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And because of such great joy that he had for us, he sang a song that took him to a cross until a resurrection changed everything. You see, what what makes you sing is whatever makes your heart bigger. Whatever makes your heart full, whatever makes you sleep like a baby at night. And when you find what makes you sing, you realize that it's something God uses to change 
the world. And God's put something inside of each of us that makes us sing. I was sitting in the front seat of a big truck in Togo, West Africa. We were out in a village that was far beyond the boonies. It was, it was way beyond. You get to the boonies and you keep going and that's where I was. And, and I'm in the truck because I love trucks. I love riding in trucks. I used to drive a truck. It makes me feel good when I'm in a truck. And so I said, no, I will not go in this little car, even though the little car has air conditioning. I am going to go and ride in this truck with the two truck guys. And we were delivering medical supplies to these very small, out-of-the-way clinics where they had nothing. And we're buying thousands of dollars worth of medical supplies and delivering them and, and helping people to have better lives and more healthy lives and for children to get regular checkups and everything. And, and so we're sitting there and the guy to my left doesn't speak English at all. He's driving the truck. The guy to my right, I've known from another trip. He actually was our, our driver. He had a van and he would take us everywhere we wanted to go in a previous trip. But now he's just, he's just along for the ride. He's not getting paid. He's just there to see us and say hello because he knew us from a couple trips ago and he doesn't have a van anymore. And so in kind of broken English and sign language, I ascertained that he doesn't have a van anymore because the, the engine was blown. And so he's done. No, no work, no way to make any income. In, in a third world economy, if you can just eke out a little bit of income, you can make it. Now he can't do anything, and he's just along for the ride. And I'm sitting there, and I, I realize that I have enough money in my pocket right here to buy him a new engine. And so I said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, Michael, it's time for you to sing. Because what God lets me sing about is when I can jump in a gap with somebody that they can't close, and God just lets me be there as part of his amazing grace, and I just close it. And I sing when that happens. And so I pulled $1,000 out of my pocket. And I counted it out for this man. And his eyes got big as saucers because this doesn't happen in a third world economy. This doesn't happen when you're out past the boonies. This doesn't happen in the front seat of a truck. And I said, now get your van fixed and you will be back on the road and you will be okay. And I sing when those things happen. What makes you sing? I had something that just happened just yesterday. I was on my way here for the service. And, uh, and I thought, I'm a little bit hungry, but I'm not sure I want to eat before I get there. I'm just sort of on the edge. Maybe if I'm on the edge, I'll, I'll feel a little more energy. Maybe if I'm on the edge, I'll feel a little more power. I'll, I'll speak better. I'll speak with more power. And I'll, I'll be more exciting if I have a little hunger and a little energy. And then suddenly my car just went zoom into Chick-fil-A. I mean, it was like zoom. I didn't even know what happens. Like zoom was like on some kind of autopilot. And so here I am, now I'm in Chick-fil-A, and I walk in, and I walk right up to the counter. There's one woman in front of me, and she's saying this. How much is that? Because I don't know if I have the money. And baby, I sang. I said, you get whatever you want. You're okay. You're good. And the people at the, at the checkout were happy, and this woman was happy, and she started to order. She ordered $19 worth of Chick-fil-A. They have done statistical analyses. It's impossible for somebody to order $19 worth of Chick-fil-A for one person, for one meal. I mean, she was ordering meals for next week. She was like, she was going for it. 
And then she said, can I have two cookies? I said, get two cookies. I said, get the whole bag of cookies. Just get it. And the manager happened to walk by at that time as I'm going, get the whole bag of cookies. And I thought the manager would join in the Christmas spirit and say, just take the cookies for free. But he didn't. And I said, bah, humbug. Oh, he got her the cookies and we got her everything. And and she was on her way. And I was just singing because what God put in my heart was to close the gaps in life that he allows me to see. And that's what makes us sing. You, You find your life every time you sing your purpose into the symphony of what God is doing. You see, this baby in a manger grew up to say when he was a man, if you want to find your life, you will lose it. And whoever loses his or her life for me will find it. Christmas is something we do based upon something that was done. What makes you dream? We often dream of one word. Enough. When I have enough money, someday when I have enough money, there's never enough. When I have enough time, someday when I have enough time, there's never enough. When I have enough house, someday when I have enough house, when I have all those closets, there's some kind of a formula somewhere that says X plus Y equals the number of closets you will still need after you have the number of closets you think you need. We dream of checking another box on a bucket list while time is ever running out. But here's the truth about enough. Enough is all about waiting to get there. Waiting to get there. And when you get there... There has to be another there. And then there's another there. And then there's this line of infinite there's that you're always going to. And there's never enough. Real dreaming is about fully living the moments of your life that will take you beyond the dream. And the moments that really count are the ones that change lives. So what are your dreams about? Are your dreams about a list of theirs? list of never-ending theirs, or a string of moments fully lived where people's lives are getting changed. Jesus put it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He was saying you can live all the moments because God will give you everything someday. And when you have God's everything, you don't have to worry about enough anymore. Luke wrote a story in the 12th chapter of his gospel about this. It says, meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another because it was so important to hear what Jesus had to say, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is, this is an enough statement. I don't have enough, I want enough, I need enough. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me so that I'll have enough. What did Jesus say? Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Translation, life does not consist in a bunch of enoughs. And then he concluded, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You already have everything. You already have the kingdom. So you can live in a way that's different in the world. You can live differently than anybody else lives on the planet. By giving yourself away. By dreaming about things that change people's lives. Let me tell you a story about the hearts. There are several competing traditions about Abraham Lincoln's final words, but a fascinating claim was advanced by the Reverend N.W. Minor of Springfield, Illinois, who officiated at Lincoln's burial. In a scrapbook at the Library of Congress, he registered the following claim about Lincoln's last seconds. This is what was told to him by Lincoln's wife. Mrs. Lincoln informed me that the last day he lived was the happiest of his life. The very last moments of his conscious life were spent in conversation with her about his future plans and what he wanted to do when his term of office expired. This is what I want to do when I'm not president anymore. He said he wanted to visit the Holy Land and to see those places hallowed by the footprints of the Savior. He was saying there was no city he so much desired to see as Jerusalem. And with the word Jerusalem half spoken on his tongue, the soul of the great and good president was carried by the angels to the new Jerusalem above. You see, he knew the story. He knew what the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior which is Christ the Lord. He knew that Christmas is something that he had to do because of something that had been done. There are questions that drive our lives. Some of those questions must be asked at Christmas. In the end, all who seek life's deepest answers arrive in Bethlehem. 2,000 years ago, kings searched, shepherds quaked, a stable became holy, a magnificent light announced a magnificent birth. So as you sit around a table on Christmas Day or tonight, speak up. Grab everybody's attention for a moment. Speak up and say, I have three questions to ask. And everyone will suddenly look at you. And you will be the center of attention. And then you will say, what makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you dream? And you may just find the best Christmas of all because Christmas has always been something we must do because of something that has been done for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled. We're humbled to remember this moment. A holy night, a revelation that defied all revelations for all time. Father, the the great expected moment of this baby in Bethlehem coming into the world, Father, it overwhelms us. Now take us into Christmas. Take us into the mystery and the glory. And let us know how your love surrounds us once again tonight, that we might do your will on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.